Gadsby's Netflix special arrived in late June and has become a genuine phenomenon. It's called Nanette, and it's an hour that starts as stand-up and morphs into something else entirely. So we called one of our pals who knows about stand-up, comedian and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Kumail Nanjiani. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. Today, we're talking about Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. We've got a very exciting guest with us, so don't go away. Support for NPR comes from Zoom Video Communications. Video conferencing has changed the way we do business. Meet happy anytime, anywhere with Zoom, connecting team members across the globe. Imagine seeing 25 people on the screen at once in digital video. Share anything, a file, a video, a photo, via desktop, laptop, tablet, or mobile. Visit zoom.us to set up your free account today. And meet happy with Zoom Video Communications. Zoom.us. Welcome back. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Also with us is Glenn Weldon of the NPR Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And in our fourth chair today, friend of the show, comedian and actor and Oscar-nominated screenwriter Kumail Nanjiani. Hi, Kumail. Hi. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you back on the show. You've been nominated for an Oscar since the last time you were with us. So <laughs> is that right? It is. I forgot. It is. I saw you on many red carpets wearing many fine uh, tuxes. What I want to do first is Glenn and I talked about uh, Nanette very early on. Uh, it dropped right around the time that we had done a show about stand-up specials. <laughs> yep. Our timing was excellent. Uh, we barely missed it. But then Glenn and I immediately started hearing about it from listeners. What was your reaction to it when you saw it, Glenn? I uh, really, really dug it. Uh, I watched it, as you say, in the first wave of reaction. And there have been several cycles. There was that first launch and then a lot of acclaim, al- almost a evangelical era where people were just telling people to, to watch it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I was telling people to watch it. People were telling me to watch it. And then a backlash, which we can spend a couple minutes on. And then I think we're now in the backlash to the backlash. And yeah. I'm firmly placed in that. I thought it was very, very funny at the beginning uh, and kind of bracing and emotional and and frankly moving at the end. And I liked how she used the classic stand-up structure of the of the callback to kind of deconstruct what we were seeing right in front of our eyes. I like that feeling of she was playing us to a certain extent. Yeah. I'm not sold on all of the connective tissue between the beginning and the end. I think many people have said this. Comedy lives in specifics. And when she widens out and gets abstract and starts and starts going a little conceptual, uh, I was willing to go with her most times. Sometimes I was not. So mm-hmm. we can talk about that in a bit. All right. Well, Kamel, I have heard you talk about this on Twitter. How did this come to your attention in the first place? Well, I've done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So Hannah Gatsby is someone who I'd heard of and I'd watched her do little sets here and there. I'd never seen a one-hour show, but she's certainly someone who had been quite acclaimed in that world. So I was aware of her, and then I heard about it. Um, So Topple uh, is the production company that put it out, and Emily is working on something with them. So she mentioned to me that, you know, they have this uh, stand-up special coming out that that we should watch for. Emily being your wonderful wife, Emily V. Gordon, also nominated with you for your Oscar. <laughs> yes, that's right. I really hope everyone mentions that each time I mention <laughs> her or myself. <laughs> Um, I should say that at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Kamel Najani, Oscar-nominated screenwriter. Your latte is ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I knew something about the subject matter. Um, and then Emily watched it first, and she said that I had to watch it. And I had about 20 minutes. So I watched the first 20 minutes, and I really, really loved it. And she was like, you have to finish watching it. 
So then I watched it, and I've watched it a few times since then. So that's sort of how it came to my attention, is that all my stand-up comedian friends were really, really going on and on about it. What struck you about it when you finally got to see it? I mean, for me, the level of emotion on display towards the end of the special was really, really... uh, you know, it just it's just not something you usually see in stand-up. And she talks about how comedy is the creation and the destroying of tension. And then she makes a decision at a certain point to not break that tension. And I had never seen a stand-up comedian do that. I'd never seen a stand-up comedian choose to build tension and then not break it and just never break it. So to me, that was... Uh, it was masterful and also... You know, it's very moving, but it's also exhilarating to watch just as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Stephen, what did you think of this special? Well, I am fully evangelical about it. Yeah. That, is, that is my point in this process. I'm about half a day out from, from having watched it for the first and second time. Uh-huh. Uh, I was completely riveted by it. I think that in that first section for about 20 minutes where it's largely a conventional stand-up special full of, full of delightful jokes, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I found it fun and funny. And then it really starts to take you on a more intense journey in which she is talking more specifically about trauma and anger and uh, art history yeah. <laughs> and, and the way artists are told to suffer for their art and the toll that that can take on artists. I, f- I found myself just increasingly drawn into it and was absolutely poleaxed by the last 10 or 15 minutes, which are, for those who who haven't heard a lot about this special, are extremely intense. And I actually had to sort of cauterize the emotional wounds <laughs> of experiencing this show. I immediately uh, watched Mamma Mia okay. <laughs> when, there you go. When, when it was over, <laughs> in part because, you know, she, she says the words, hindsight is a gift. Uh, many times in this special, you mentioned callbacks, Glenn. She has callbacks to the idea that hindsight is a gift, and it is—it's it, spoken, and it's—it's it's a truth that really rings out in the in this show. But compartmentalization is a gift too. You know, the the ability to experience other people's pain as an abstraction is a gift, and this special is, I think, a very important experience for viewers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Experiencing someone's pain as something other than an abstraction is an incredibly important part of being a human being and learning empathy. I I really came out of this, you said evangelical. I mean, I I feel like everyone should see it. Yeah. Kamal, I want to ask you, one of the things she's doing in this special, I think, is is almost indicting the idea of the stand-up special, the stand-up hour, because she starts off doing regular kind of comedy, as Stephen said, and then it kind of morphs into this other thing where she's talking about how self-deprecating humor of the type that she's used to doing, various people who tend to be part of marginalized groups wind up doing, she says has a very negative aspect to it, has a very kind of traumatic aspect to it. Did what she said about comedy ring true for you? Yeah, and it's on a lot of it I'm still processing. I actually wrote down the quote she said about it. She said, self-deprecating humor from someone who is already in the margins is not humility, it's humiliation. I put myself down in order to seek permission to speak, uh, mm-hmm. which is a pretty devastating thought. And it's something, you know, when I'm sort of looking back at when I was first starting stand-up, that was definitely something I was doing, was making fun of where I was from or the way I looked. 
And I didn't realize what I was doing was getting permission to speak from mostly white audiences. So that's, that's something that I hadn't been able to articulate to myself that watching this show helped me understand. And the other thing that she says that I can't stop thinking about is she says stories have a beginning, middle, and an end, and jokes by design only have a beginning and a middle because once you get the laugh, that's the end of it. And I found myself over the last year or slightly um, longer than the last year, I haven't been able to do stand-up as much, and part of that, I told myself, was because of scheduling, etc. But really, it's... I think I'd been realizing that a lot of the jokes I did are sort of stuck in time. So I have some jokes about my relationship with my parents. And when I get a laugh, I move on. But that's not the whole truth. My relationship with my parents has evolved since I wrote that joke, not necessarily in a funny way and not necessarily in a way that resolves things either, in ways it's much more complicated. So me being on stage just telling these jokes always started feeling to me very incomplete and dishonest and I wasn't able to articulate it until I saw her special because you know I'd always hear in stand-up comedy if it's funny it's successful if it's not funny it's not Mm -hmm. successful and and that limits the kinds of things you can discuss. Yeah, uh, the backlash to this thing when it hit came from some very predictable corners, I think, and uh, they said the usual things. Uh, In this case, they said, this isn't funny, this isn't comedy, this is a lecture, this is a TED Talk. The first time I heard that, I, I, I wanted to dismiss it because, you know, it's a very male thing to fixate on word choice and semantics mm-hmm. and taxonomies. I mean, yeah, <laughs> hi. Uh, but you have to remember... She kind of chose that semantic battlefield to fight on. She makes this thing about what comedy is, how it works, how it's unpacked. That's true. So, Camille, you mentioned that thing about how stories have a beginning, middle, and end, and comedy jokes have a beginning and a middle. That's an example, for me, of where the abstraction doesn't quite land because... I, mean, I know what she's saying. I think I know what she's saying. She's saying that we become the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, and in her case, the stories we tell to others. And that there is, you know, an aftermath to a joke. But... On a practical level, if you have a beginning and a middle and you end in the middle, that's your ending. So, I mean, it's that level of pulling out and trying to say something pithily as opposed to just being in that experience that that I think makes it feel a little bit different. And maybe that's the stuff that the abstractions that didn't work for me. Yeah, I think what I took away from what she was trying to say, she's not just saying it, it has a beginning and a middle in a strictly technical sense, because obviously, yes, when you stop talking, that's an end, <laughs> I, in in a sense. But I think what she's saying is the same thing Kumail is saying, is it's not that it doesn't have an end. Like, there's an end to the joke, but you're telling as the joke the beginning and middle of the story. Uh-huh. Do you see what I'm saying? Because what Kumail's saying, I think, is there's another chapter of whatever the joke is. And she says something more specific about this at some point, about how you freeze, a joke kind of freezes an experience in a particular moment. And so I think what she's saying is like, there's always a whole piece that you don't tell. So it's not just that the joke has a beginning and, the mi- and a middle, it's that the joke is a beginning and a middle of a story mm-hmm. that stops before you really kind of explore the rest of it. Do you th- am, I, am I getting that right, Kamal, do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I've thought a lot about this. So I was thinking of other comedians who have certainly tackled very serious social subject matter or very difficult autobiographical material that they've sort of ended with 
a laugh each time. And what is the difference between that and something like Hannah Gadsby's special where she does not end on a laugh? And I think it might be it's sort of the spoonful of sugar thing. And I think when you watch someone like Richard Pryor, who really does want to be funny, I think the impact of what he's saying hits you later because it's constantly you're breaking the tension and you sort of have to reflect later to understand the power of what he's talking about. Whereas with her, you understand the power of it in the moment because she doesn't really give you a way out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think, you know, in some ways, her talking about comedy, as Glenn was saying, is a little bit reductive, but it's also, it's a completely different effect that she's going for than most stand-ups do. Yeah. And for me as a stand-up comedian, I think it's really exciting because I think there'll be stand-up comedians watching this and realizing that they don't have to perhaps be beholden to the laugh. Now, again, she's been doing it for a very long time and she can control that and she's a master. I'm, I'm a little, you know, wary of people trying something like this yeah. <laughs> uh, who haven't had the experience and skill set that she does yeah. because it's a really... It's what she what she's doing is very, very difficult and it may not seem difficult, but there's a structure to this thing that's really that I didn't even notice the first time, which is, I think, what good structure does. It doesn't call attention to itself. But when she says when she talks about that, she wants to tell her whole story. She doesn't go right to her whole story first. She first tells the whole story of Van Gogh. Then she tells the whole story of Picasso. And then she goes to her own story. So she really preps mm-hmm. the audience for each step. Where she starts is so different from where she ends, but she sort of, she really guides the audience through every step of the way. Yeah. I was very struck by how difficult this looked. Mm-hmm. I just sat there like the amount of command and control that are necessary to guide that audience. There are long stretches of the special where the audience is absolutely pin drop silent. And at one point that that silence is broken by someone in the in the audience just goes, goes like, yeah, or something like that. And she's like, you know, and she makes a joke off of it. And you kind of remember that this is a comedy audience again. Mm-hmm. But it is it is to me, I, I was just watching it like this is 69 minutes long. Yeah. And to me, there was very little of it that felt loose or, 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 or unformed. And you just say, like, how do you maintain that level of not only energy, but control and emotional engagement in your own material to do this, to have rehearsed this as much as she must have rehearsed it and to play it to as many crowds as she must have played it in front of. I was really awestruck by the amount of, of skill as a performer that goes into it. And the other thing that I would, that I would add is especially watching it a second time, it is really funny. Mm-hmm. It is. Yep. This is the other thing that drove me crazy. Some of the reaction that Glenn was talking about that kind of denied it was comedy. There's a line in this in this special about being sensitive and about being lectured about being too sensitive in which she says, You know what? I feel a little bit like a nose being lectured by a fart. <laughs> Not the problem. That is an excellent joke. That is a <laughs> hilarious joke. And it is an, it's such a good joke about sensitivity and about what it feels like. It's one of those jokes that tells you something that you have felt in your bones, but it's kind of expressed as a joke. 
Because what she's doing that's new is not just is not the fact that she talks, you know, as Kumail said, about traumatic things. Patton Oswalt's recent most recent special has a lot of material about the death of his wife. Everything Chris Gethard does mm-hmm. is shot through with stuff about depression and mental illness. That's really wonderful. Hassan Minaj's special on Netflix has a lot of kind of tough stuff about his growing up and things like that. And even like a even like a guy like Mike Birbiglia, who's pretty laid back, you can find some pretty serious strains in there if you're looking. So it's not the fact that she's talking about trauma. I think it's exactly what Kamal says. And I think this is also part of what probably makes it so grueling to perform is that she resists that urge, probably both in herself and in the audience, to follow that rhythm of like, let it go, right. let it out, let the tension fall back. It almost reminds me of watching uh, Ben Platt in Dear Evan Hansen, which was which is this incredibly wrenching performance. And I think it must really take a lot out of a person to do that for a long period of time. Yeah, there's a great interview in Vulture with her about how this special just changed form, how she used to come out hot, angry at the top. And that kind of changed how the audience reacted. So she she's really workshopped it a lot. And it, it struck me that when you hear from the folks who say this isn't comedy, this isn't funny, uh, you know, you just wait for them to say the thing they're inevitably going to say, which is that, you know, what people are too easily offended by things. It's, it's that familiar block of comedy nerds. But what struck me is that these people who often say people are too easily offended took offense at the thing that, say, a rape joke exists to dispel, right? So they are being forced, in a way, to engage with something that doesn't exist in a rape joke, which is this notion of aftermath, that the person who is sexually assaulted is a person, Mm -hmm. and they have to live and engage with the anger that ensues. And that is just not something we do in society. We do not spend any time in any kind of public setting with that anger, and that's what they're reacting to. That's what they're offended by, this this notion of the logical uh, extension of what happens after they make a stupid joke. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to ask Kamal about is I feel like Netflix, because they are unleashing this massive, just sheer quantity of comedy specials, that they are making a certain number, a certain amount of experimentation, likely just by sheer volume. But I can't tell whether that's just because I see them go by all the time or whether that feels true that more people are getting a platform to do more different kinds of things where they'll be seen at least by American audiences that wouldn't otherwise see them. Does that seem true? Yeah, I think, you know, isn't there a day coming up where they're releasing 47 specials or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel many different ways about it. I certainly have friends who had Netflix specials and enough people watched them and it sort of changed their lives and careers because everybody has Netflix. But I also feel a lot of great stand-up specials get buried on Netflix because it's really a sink or swim approach they take to releasing stuff, right? I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think they really promoted Nanette that heavily. It sort of seemed to happen fairly organically you know if you look at other stuff too i mean stranger things they didn't promote and that became a thing on its own so so i feel many different ways about it you know i obviously watch netflix all the time but the idea of 47 comedic specials dropping on one day makes me feel like stand-up comedy is being devalued but maybe i'm an old fogey i don't know I don't think you're an old fogey. I I have that same concern. And I think it's almost like when Stephen Glenn and I were, you know, teenagers or whatever, uh, it was sort of when stand up first came to television in volume when basic cable was developing. And you would just see brick walls, lots of brick walls, lots of brick walls, people standing in front of them. And you did feel like eventually it just 
it made everything kind of run together. And I feel like there's some possibility that Netflix specials could do that. But then also a possibility that they will open the door for, you know, specials like Nanette or or the Hassan Minaj special Homecoming mm-hmm. King, which I which is another one that we've talked about yeah, a bunch of times because so I really love it. Yeah. In rewatching Nanette, I noticed there's a really, really interesting moment when she's talking about her mom feeling regret for the way she raised her and feeling regret for the way she reacted when Hannah came out to her. And she does a joke. She says, how did my mom get to be the hero of my story? Okay, so that's a joke line. And then she does finger guns to sort of punctuate that line. And then she looks at the guns and she sort of holsters them. And it's not, it doesn't seem to me part of a... um, designed performance thing. It's just something that happens in the moment. And it really shows the tension she's feeling in that moment between wanting to tell jokes and wanting to tell the truth. And it really highlighted to me how uh, her decision to not tell jokes at certain points. Uh, what a what a courageous decision that is. Yeah. And there are some great, if you're interested in reading more about her, there are some great interviews with her. There is the one in Vulture that Glenn talked about. There's one in The Guardian where she talks about having been diagnosed with an aut- autism spectrum disorder a number of years ago, um, which is a very interesting addition to kind of reading that performance. Uh, and she says that kind of herself. Glenn, uh, final thoughts? So, Camille, this is a question for you. If you were a comedian who was working and uh, had, had some success, and then you break out, have a phenomenon with a special in which you say you're quitting comedy, <laughs> what are the odds you're quitting comedy? I mean, I don't, I don't know her personally, so I don't know. I really hope she doesn't quit comedy. I think we need her comedy, and I think comedy needs her. I, I don't think she's going to stop being a performer or a writer or an entertainer, so I don't know what the future sort of holds for her, but I really hope she continues to do stand-up and sort of defy what we see stand-up being, you know? I mean, certainly the, the last 15 minutes of the special are not funny on purpose, and I, I hope she sort of continues to explore doing that. I hope she doesn't quit. The other thing that's amazing about this is whenever you talk about the special, I'll always end up focusing on one or two things. But what's really staggering is the number of things it's about. It's about so many things. As Stephen was saying, there's, there's a whole art history section in there. It's, it's about what comedy is and deconstructing that and shining a light on that. It's also about how certain people feel beholden to certain ways that whoever they are is is seen, right? Like stereotypes of, of what they are. Or it's also about uh, the pressure that you can feel being a public figure to provide a positive version of your people. You know, you're not just you. You're the weight of an entire group. So it's really about a lot of different things. I didn't really catch that because I was just sort of experiencing it the first time I watched it. But on second watch, I was like, this is about so many different things. Yeah. And I think we can say fairly, we all recommend, if you have not already seen it, that you track down Nanette on Netflix. Come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH and let us know what you thought. That brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Kumail Nanjiani on Twitter at Kumail N. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can follow Glenn at GH Weldon or me at Linda Holmes. 
And uh, thanks to all of you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will be back here on Friday talking about The Rock in Skyscraper. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. We will see you all back here on Friday. Did you know you can set your Amazon Echo to give you the news every morning? Just say, enable up first. Then tomorrow, say, what's the news? And start your day with up first.